Today we're joined by Chris Amani, who's the CEO of Terraform Labs. Our conversation with Chris unfolds in two parts. Initially recorded on January 17th, we begin by catching up on all the latest developments and the new strategic direction of the Terra ecosystem following its collapse in May 2022. But intriguingly, just days after our initial dialogue, Terraform Labs announced its filing for bankruptcy. So after the main interview, there is a shorter follow-up where we delve into the intricacies of this voluntary decision and explore the potential implications and expected outcomes stemming from this voluntary bankruptcy filing. For a detailed breakdown of the conversation, please refer to the description below. Here we are with Chris Amani, CEO of Terraform Labs. Uh, Chris, I'm so excited to have you on the Define podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just very interested in this story. Of course, Terra was one of the biggest projects, chains, um, stable coins, uh, or the platform for the, one of the biggest stable coins out there. We all know the very just spectacular collapse of it all. Um, and so now uh, you're at the front of the new Terra, and I'm just very curious to hear what the latest of this ecosystem is. I think, you know, after after the, the collapse, most of us weren't sure where the project was going. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very excited to hear kind of this potential uh, rebirth of it or or evolution of it, I guess. So I wonder, yeah, absolutely. I can walk you through that. And it might make sense to go back a little bit to the mm -hmm. DPEG and, and talk a little bit about what happened there and then how we came up with the decision to relaunch, essentially. So, um, you know, a little bit of background on me. Um, prior to joining TFL, I was in Web2. Um, you know, like Web2, I did gaming, uh, electronic arts, Singa, um, uh, MongoDB for B2B, so kind of like a variety of different backgrounds of Web2. Um, I started getting interested in crypto um, around the time, the same time that I was at a company called Humanity, where um, um, I was the COO, and uh, Humanity started to go through some challenging times. I took over from the founder as CEO. Um, we saved that company um, and sold it off to a private equity-backed platform. I worked for them for a little bit, but like all through that, process, I was following everything that was going on in crypto. So I was there for like the ICO, the ICO boom, and then the bear market, and then um, kind of the new bull market that emerged. And um, having just sold my company, I was looking for a way to get involved because I saw these tokens as like a new business model um, for acquiring customers. And I wanted to learn more about it and and try to find some way to, to, to work in the industry. And so... Um, I was I was obviously super familiar with Ethereum already, uh, but was starting to look at some of the other ecosystems. And um, I actually saw your interview with Doe Quan. Um, I think it was in 2021, um, and that was around the time that I was learning about the Terra ecosystem, and it really resonated with me. And and like the vision for UST back at that point was was very much about like real world adoption, about building something useful, um, and it felt like a project I wanted to get involved in even, even kind of stable coin aside, just kind of like the ethos of it, that, that, you know, that it was plugged into the real world with Chai um, and that he was going to try to do something beyond just you know, kind of yield farming. 
Um, and so I started to get involved in that community. I had a podcast in that community for a little bit. I started showing up to events. I got to know Doe over time. And um, eventually he was, you know, we had a conversation about how, you know, he was kind of overwhelmed with trying to run the company and be kind of like this front person and, and you know, the public face of the entire ecosystem. Um, and we had a conversation about joining as in, in like a COO capacity. Um, and so I joined in... Actually, I guess it was about two years and two years ago now. Yeah, about six months before the DPEG in in 2022, December 2022. That'd have been 2021. I always get my years confused. I'm terrible at dates. Um, but I joined. Yeah, it was like the December, December before the DPEG. I joined as the COO. Um, yeah, and was just kind of getting settled and and um, getting comfortable with working with Doe and helping him run the company when the DPEG happened. And so. Um, Incredible. Um, yeah. Well, I, first off, I mean, just want to say that I'm I'm so glad that we at the Defiant had a, a part to play in your crypto journey. I'm glad the, the interview with uh, Doe was useful. Um, yeah, we were one of the the first outlets to interview him. Like this was like pretty early on in like the Terra journey. And, and yeah, like at the time it was all about Chai, about real use cases. So yeah, we'll obviously link to that so people can go and, and rewatch it. Um, but um, so you came on to help though run the company uh, as he, he was like the public facing uh, figure. Uh, you came on as COO um, and then shortly after you joined, you had this kind of unraveling of UST. So yeah, can, can you go through what that day was like? Um, yeah. were, were you together with, with Doe kind of in the same office? Like what was the atmosphere like in the, the Terra team? Yeah. So, you know, the TFL team was spread all over the world. And so Doe was located in Singapore. I'm in the U.S. Um, we just happened to be flying people in from our leadership team um, that weekend before it happened. And so we were, we were, a lot of our leadership team was in the air when the DPEG started to happen or when like the very first phases of it started to happen. And we were all there together in Singapore, kind of at the same hotel, kind of sitting in the same lobby. And we had, we even had like, we had conference rooms booked because we were going to be doing planning sessions and we were getting ready for the next year. Um, so we were all there when it happened. So I wasn't in the room with Doe specifically when he was defending the peg. Um, we were all kind of in the lobby outside, just kind of watching everything happening and, and kind of learning about things as what everyone else did. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was an intense moment. Um, it, you know, there were a lot of people who had dedicated a lot of time to Tara sitting in that kind of hotel lobby, waiting to see what would happen. Um, and as, as it became more and more clear that it wasn't going to repeg, it was just kind of utter devastation. And so it, it wasn't just about kind of like the TFL employees that were all there together. It was also, you know, you're getting messages from community members and builders. And there's this entire, I mean, Luna had a massive ecosystem at that time. And, a, and, and probably I would say one of the most rabid and, and kind of engaged communities in crypto. Um, and so it wasn't just that, it was like all of the stakeholders, right? And we were all kind of part, part to, like, experiencing this together at the same time. And, you know, I think, I think everyone who was involved with Terra understood the risk of the DPEG and, and we can talk a little more about, about that. Right. I think everyone in crypto understood the risks of the, like the, the death spiral. I, I think we all assigned different probabilities to it, but it was, it was well discussed and, and understood. Um, 
And so we always knew, you know, when I, I went to jo- when I joined TFL, I always knew that there was going to be this risk of financial loss and of of something like this happening, right? It was it was a real thing. Um, but I don't think I ever. I, I was pretty naive about what the fallout would be, just in terms of the emotions behind it. Like the, the money aside, right? But but the emotional loss, um, the amount of people who had dedicated kind of their careers and had left good jobs to come work on this um, as builders, um, the, you know, all of the people in the community who had been, you know, talking about this to their friends and their family and, and what that meant. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was kind of a heavy moment when that all came to a head. And then, you know, even with all of that, I was still pretty naive about like the legal fallout that would come next. Right. And we've all seen what's happened since, and we can talk about that a little bit as well. Um, so yeah, it was, it was like a moment of kind of coming to terms with that life was going to be different now in a pretty meaningful way. This wasn't just a financial loss. Um, this, it was going to be hard to explain this to friends and family and community members and, and everything. So that, that was, there was kind of like a, definitely like a grieving period as we sat in that hotel lobby and watched it at all. Um, watch that, watch the DPEG kind of finalize. Because the unraveling of it was just so immediate. I guess it was, it was pretty, pretty clear very early on that um, it was a, an unsalvageable situation, right? It's like the TVL on Terra went from 20 billion to practically zero in like a day or like, I don't know. I mean, just... it really, there were some like initial like DPEGs that and it looked like it had recovered mm-hmm. and, and then there was just a waterfall. So God, I pushed, I have like PTSD about it. So I don't remember exactly how many days it took, but it, it was like, it happened over the matter of, I would say probably three days. But when mm-hmm. that final DPEG happened, it happened quick. Yeah. It was like 24 hours, 36 hours max. And, um, it was over. And, and I, I just don't think anyone, I don't think there's anyone's ever seen anything like that before Yeah, no, <laughs> that amount, so. something that big fail that quickly. And so, um, you know, even in the worlds, I get kind of in, in the worlds where I'd imagine that happening and, and had prepared myself for it, 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 it still just felt so much different and so much faster in real time than I would have ever imagined. I can't imagine. I mean, what was, yeah, the atmosphere like in <clears throat> in the team? Like, were you at the time, um, were all of you just, you know, thinking the project was was over like like looking at alternatives on like what to do next um what it was there anger uh, and yeah, I, think, I don't know yeah i mean look like so by the time it it was over that was when i finally saw doe and you know he had been up for however many days in a row um trying to save this thing um obviously he believed it and loved it more than anyone right mm-hmm. um um, which I think gets lost in the current conversation about Doe. Um, but, you know, I think like Doe immediately, it, it was like, you know, he came to where we were, we had this conference room and it was, it was immediately like, okay, so what's next? What are we going to do next? And it's hard to, it's hard to like put yourself back in the perspective of what was happening at that time, but I've had to do it multiple. I've had to like go rewind and like, mm-hmm. I've gone back and listened to like, okay, what were the podcasts I was listening to? around that time. Like what was the feel of the market? And the feel of the market was, it was like layer one season, right? And Mm. Terra was always unique in that it was like this, this layer one ecosystem, but it also had this um, stable coin 
mechanism built into it. And so it wasn't like all of the other layer ones. It was built with a purpose. But the idea at the time was, well, we can look, we've got one of the most rabid communities in crypto. We have an ecosystem of builders who are devastated right now. Um, there's no reason why we can't take everything that we have in, in both of those and try to salvage this and at least compete head to head as a layer one, you know, using the Cosmos SDK and see if we can like which of these protocols still make sense without a decentralized stable coin um, and just try to capture all of the energy, you know, like all of the other shoes had not dropped at that point. Right. So it didn't seem kind of crazy that we would be able to, to pull that off. Um, mm. Maybe it was crazy, but we, we didn't think it was crazy because. No, I mean, there, there was a little bit of anger in the community just because there were like allegations coming out that ultimately were like unfounded, but that there were misappropriation of LFG funds or things like that that weren't true. Um, but no, I would say, look, I mean, like the Terra community understood all of these risks. I, I don't know if you remember, but we had recently raised this massive LFG round specifically to diversify the capital but backing UST and mm. and to like defend the peg in a situation like this. So like everyone was aware of this possibility. I think a lot of people when that LFG fund were raised thought, oh, that's it. Like we've got this Bitcoin backing now. There's no way this thing is going to fail. I think I think a lot of people emotionally moved on from some of the risk maybe. Mm. Um, and it turned out that that wasn't enough to defend the peg. And, and there's all kinds of conversations you could have about that. But yeah, I think like within the community and the ecosystem, it was just like, so what are we going to do next? Like, are we just going to die? Or mm. are we going to, you know, try to fight on? And and Doe was kind of the, the tip of the spear on that. Like he was, I, I don't think he had slept in days, but he was kind of right back in the war room talking to ecosystem teams. Um, talking to the community and ultimately like, it was like, what do we want to do next? You know, TFL was left over with treasury from after the DPEG. We just, the vast majority of our treasury was in UST. Um, and obviously that was wiped out, but there were just like assets and flight and different types of assets we had. So we had enough left in the tank and still have enough left in the tank to try to rebuild the ecosystem and compete, um, at a high level, I think in terms of being able to attract builders and infrastructure and everything like that. And so, Ultimately, that's that was like the overwhelming consensus from the community, from the ecosystem of builders was relaunch the chain, airdrop the tokens to people who lost money on on Luna and TFL already has its treasury. So it didn't take any of the tokens from from the Genesis block. So all the Genesis block was either given out to people who held Luna or, or UST or it was put in a community pool um, and like use TFL's treasury to try to build it back and like do the best we can to, to build something out of this. And so that, that that's what we did. And that was a community vote. We put that to a community vote, like all of the discussions still out there on Agora. Um, yeah, and that's what we tried to do. And like a large portion of the tokens from relaunching Terra went to the projects and the builders who had kind of like dedicated themselves to building on Terra. And you can find probably 20 30 examples of teams like that that are still building. They might have left Terra after everything else that's happened since and a lot has changed mm -hmm. since since all of the the positive, like we're going to rebuild this and everything's going to go great. Um, a lot of some of those teams have left Terra, um, but a lot of them are still building. They're like the, the best builders in the Cosmos ecosystem, whether it's the mm -hmm. Skip team, the TFM team, um, Levana Protocol, um, Astroport. Um, so like a lot of those, and I don't know which of those those teams wouldn't have survived without the relaunch of Terra, but I know a lot of them wouldn't have. So yeah, there's mm -hmm. still a lot of positive that came out of that that original relaunch. And 
And then I would say, you know, from the from the Terra perspective and the Terra community perspective, what happened next was just like an onslaught of legal legal filings, right? Uh, right. Governments, governments coming after us, people, governments coming after Doe, um, like kind of grifters on the internet making up false allegations about us that we couldn't really respond to because we're in the middle of all these legal proceedings. And that really just kind of blunted our momentum. Um, hmm. And, you know, from there, we've just been, you know, ever since heads down. At that point, we kind of decided to go kind of internal a little bit, heads down, build for like our more rabid, smaller community, stay out of the headlines um, until we had something interesting and, and useful for people to use again. And so that's kind of where we've gotten today. And we still have, I want to say like, there's still like 20 people left on the team from, from prior to the DPEG, which... You know, we were only a hundred person team. So, I mean, like we lost a lot of people, but um, mm -hmm. I think it's more than people would expect um, yeah. given everything yeah. that's happened. So, so interesting. Um, I, I think, I think it does sound a bit crazy that, you know, the, the day after or like, right, right, right in, in the aftermath of the collapse of, of UST, Doe and, you know, the team was and the community was already thinking about a, a relaunch. Um, I, I think, you know, that just like speaks to this like rabbit and fan base and just like this, this really strong belief in, in, in Terra itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think like Doe, Doe gets so much grief. Right. And, and there are two reasons why. Number one, he was rude to people on Twitter. And so, um, you know, some people are. Yeah, you know, and so like he had this persona that he used on Twitter and, and that's mm -hmm. come back to haunt him a little bit when things failed, right? Because he was so I'll say it, he was he was overly arrogant about something that ended up failing and, and so people were kind of happy when they saw his demise. Um and then now, you know, there are all these allegations against him that he's not in a position to respond to. Um and so but I think if you if you talk to like the community and the ecosystem of builders who were all there, they don't see Doe as a villain. They see him as a martyr, essentially. <laughs> um, and uh, the work he did kind of after that DPEG to try to hold things together and get teams the funding they needed to survive um, and to try to hold that community together, it was like heroic in some ways. And it, I mean, I think like he's, he's who inspired a lot of us to um, to kind of stick. It was kind of like inspiring for us to stick with him and try to help him dig his way out of this hole you know so yeah it was it's a he was a, an incredibly resilient person during that period um um but then also you know like the community was just incredibly resilient as well it's kind of amazing like all the same all of our same like kind of key community participants are still here the validators are still here um the builders are coming back um so it's just been a kind of a super resilient community and and, and um ecosystem overall um, just to provide a bit more background for for listeners who you know maybe don't know all the details or 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 forgot what what happened um, at the time, but I guess like in just like very basic terms, uh, Terra was a, a blockchain which had a, a, a volatile asset, a Luna, and a stablecoin UST. And this stablecoin was backed by Luna, by the, the same token of the, the chain. Um, 
which was risky, you know, like most stable coins are backed by uh, US dollars um, or over collateralized uh, with, with Ethereum and other stable coins in the case of DAI. Um, but UST was, uh, was backed purely by, uh, by Luna. And so this death spiral that, um, that Chris is referring to here is, is this, there was this risk that if the, that if, if Luna started really falling very quickly, um, there, there would be a situation where it, it, it would be really hard to arbitrage the, um, the stable coin back to the, the $1 peg, um, with like the, the mechanism of like, I don't know, like buying and selling Luna in the background to, uh, to, to make up, uh, for that, uh, for that DPEG. So that's essentially what happened. Like Luna, the pr price of Luna fell uh, too quickly. Uh, and then that caused UST to fall below the $1 peg. Um, and then the, there was just like this loss of confidence that that yeah. peg would be re regained. Um, and so Luna just kept falling lower and lower and lower the the peg kept kept falling below uh, further below one dollar and then it just like simply never recovered um and this was a multi-billion dollar market cap stable coin so the, it was just like the the crash was just incredible to see like such a huge uh, asset just like fall from billions to to zero and so i think that's that's kind of um when when you look at it on, on a superficial level, you see this huge project falling, and um, the first thing you do is obviously blame the face of it, uh, which is Doe. I mean, who is Doe? Um, and at the time when like you had like all these implosions happen, you had Terra, then you had Three Arrows, then you had FTX. Um, I think uh, it, it it was easy to put everything on the same level, like on, on the same basket. And so you, you talk about just like the, the huge crypto failures of um, 2022. And it was like, it's like Terra and FTX. And of course, like Sam Beckman Freed was, you know, he actually committed real fraud. Like he stole people's money. Mm -hmm. um, but personally, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think that it's fair to put Dokon on the same level. I think it's, you know, Dokon maybe was responsible for a very risky mechanism to peg a stable coin, which, you know, people knew um, that that was the case. And then that mechanism failed. But I don't think it's it's the same as saying, okay, like, you know, SBF took people's money uh, from his exchange to like gamble it on, on his hedge fund. Like that's just like a very yeah. different level of, of failure here that, that we're talking about. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it's important to put that into context because when, when you say Terra, you, you remember this like huge collapse of, the, of a crypto project, but it's important to remember, yeah, like it's this mechanism that failed. Um, maybe the risk was, weren't communicated. Maybe, I don't know, there's like different things you can say, but I, I don't think it's fair to say it was fraud. So there's like a line yeah. there. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I think like, uh, so much to say because I've been living this for two years, right? And mm -hmm. I have to think about how to explain it to friends and family and my kids. And um, you know, in hindsight, 
should it ever have existed, right? Was it always too risky? Was it always doomed mm. to fail? I think is a conversation worth having. Um, I think that, that I, I, I believe that TFL was pretty transparent about the risks. And I think like that, you just go back and if you really go back and listen to, which I've had to do, because I've had to remind myself, like, why did I, this, this, I was, I was involved in this massive failure and this thing was clearly risky and what drew me to it in the first place. And if you go back and so I went back and I listened to your interview again and some of the other ones mm -hmm. he did and you know that you can, you can, there's so many examples of kind of him explaining the mechanism and how it works, but I think ultimately there's just no pattern recognition for when something this massive implodes this quickly and there wasn't something wrong, right? Because there's never been something that got as big as Terra that failed that was just a purely open source protocol. This was the first of its kind. And so I think it's fair that TFL gets scrutiny and right, like there are, there are questions to answer, right? When something like that happens, right? And so, you know, that's part of like the trial that's coming up with the SEC, like we want people to cover it. And so like we've, we've cooperated, we've submitted documents to the SEC investigation and all the evidence will be presented and, and people will be able to make up their own mind. And so, but I totally agree. Like just at, like at the base level, TFL never took anyone's money. Um, we didn't take people's money and spend it inappropriately. TFL created an open source project. Um, and even the, the awkward thing about it is even when it failed, it worked as it was supposed to, right? Like the mechanism hmm. was working the entire time um, exactly as advertised. Um, and so, yeah, we, we definitely, you know, I think it's, it's, it's shorthand, right? Because for people to throw Terra and FTX and three arrows into the same box, but yeah, they're, they're very, very different things. And, and that's why we've been able to, been able to hold a team together. Um, that's why we've been able to hold an ecosystem together, a community together and why, you know, we're still, I mean, like we have a long way to go to kind of rebuild our reputation and, and to get our products back kind of on the main stage of crypto, but we're, we're making incremental progress and have things we're proud of, um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I appreciate you acknowledging that there's a difference between those situations. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting what you mentioned about it, about the protocol working as intended, even as it was failing. Um, at the time, like we, when we covered Terra uh, on, on the Defiant, I always made the point to say, um, you know, even, even with this massive collapse, it's still, I think supports the idea that DeFi is better because while, you know, Terra was, was falling and, and collapsing, it was fully transparent. Like you saw it happen real time. You yep. saw the, the DPEG, you saw um, the TVL dropping um, and everything was there in, before your eyes. Like, um, I guess like you, you could argue the, um, I think the, the, the one thing that wasn't transparent was the LFG fund. And th I guess like that, that's why there are more questions around what happened there. Uh, but barring that, everything else, like the, the protocol itself, everything was, was just like the unraveling before everyone's eyes and people were able to to sell UST to sell Luna uh, immediately you know you're 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 able to you know really take control over your your assets if you were involved with uh with Terra um and Anchor right it's yeah it's it's crypto that's how it works right like it, things things are allowed to fail and it, it's 
it's in stark contrast, I think, to like the Silicon Valley bank failure we saw where the first people who got the first people who got their money out were the the people whose VCs were in the know about what was happening. Right. And so your startup was able to get your money and ultimately the, the government just bailed them out completely. But um, you had people had privileged access right to information that they could use to get out. And that's that's like the financial system that we were trying to replace with crypto and you know, um, and you're right. And, and it all happened transparently. Again, I agree with your point, by the way, like, and I think Doe would agree that LFG was not properly decentralized at the time. It, we were, it was like a progressive decentralization situation with getting those funds in a place where people could see them being deployed to defend the peg. Um, we have, by the way, if anyone's interested, um, got a third party audit report of everything that was done during the DPEG defense that we can, we can share and you can find on Tara's, um, on Tara's Twitter feed that that goes through in, in, in like wallet level detail, like every transaction that was made on behalf of Peg Defense. So we have been able to provide clarity on that um, after the fact. But again, yeah, it would have been better if if like there were mechanisms in place where like that LFG Peg Defense was happening um, uh, completely transparently. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, um, but yeah, I was going to make the comparison with FTX. Uh, where users of FTX weren't able to get their their money out for I don't know months um, while uh, and 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 not only that but you know the reason why uh, the whole FTX thing exploded was because of a a, a news report on on FTX balance sheet um, so it's kind of this lack of transparency of of CFI and Trad five versus full transparency of, of DeFi. So I think that, you know, that, that point is, is worth uh, highlighting when, uh, when talking about Terra. Yeah, it was like a spectacular collapse. Uh, maybe it was too risky to begin with, but it was at least, you know, fully transparent and people using the protocol were always in, in control um, of, their, of their own funds. So I, I think that's definitely worth highlighting. Yeah. And, and I, and I don't, and by like making that distinction, I don't want to come across as saying this wasn't a massive failure and that, it wasn't tragic and devastating. And so, and again, I just want to reiterate, like, I think TFL deserves scrutiny. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, just because of all the legal stuff, we're not able to like have the conversation as publicly as we want to now. But that's kind of why we want people to cover and look at this SEC case, because it's the first time that, you know, both sides will be able to present evidence. Right. And, um, I think we all know on crypto at this point, you, you shouldn't, no one should take my word for it about what happened, you know, for like the things that are still left unresolved. Um, you have to kind of verify on your own. And so we're, we're excited. I think once that trial's over, you know, some of the other things that are still outstanding, we'll be able to more directly address um, as well. DeFi Saver is an all-in-one management app for decentralized finance that provides access to top lending protocols in the Ethereum ecosystem. With support from protocols such as Aave, Maker, Compound, Spark, Liquidity, and MorphoBlue, and features such as one transaction leverage management, collateral and debt swaps, protocol shifts, and various automation features, it aims to make management of your on-chain positions much easier. Check it out at DeFiSaver.com. Can Can you uh, give me an overview on like what the um, what the crux of the trial? is, is going to be about like, what's, uh, what's being, what's, what are the charges? Uh, and if you can say kind of, what are the, the arguments that uh, TFL is making? 
Yeah. So what I can do is I can tell you the allegations and then mm -hmm. I'm going to have to leave it to the trial to let that be litigated. It, it's just not practical for me to try to do that here. Um, but here there are really two two prongs to the SEC's case against um, Terraform Labs and Doe. The first is that the tokens were securities and that's um, Luna, Mirror and UST. And, you know, we, we fundamentally don't believe that those tokens are securities. Um, and in the most extreme version, we don't believe that UST, a stable coin, <laughs> was a security. Mm -hmm. um, the SEC's already won summary judgment on that. And so um, that's essentially, at least at the first level, resolved and that those were securities. And so um, now what's pending are the fraud allegations, which is like the second set of allegations against TFL. And th those essentially fall into two buckets. Um, I can't get too in the weeds on those, but one is that there were misrepresentations made about the May 2021 DPEG. Um, this was like the DPEG that happened before, I think it was 2021. Again, I'm terrible with the years. There was a, there was a DPEG that happened that, 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 terror, that UST recovered from prior to the one that was a full collapse. Um, and so evidence will be presented at trial about that. And, and everyone, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to convince anyone mm -hmm. what's true or not. Like, I, I hope that people look at the evidence that gets presented at trial. And then the second one um, was a pretty, pretty big allegation that, that, UST never, um, and that Terra never used, and Chai were never connected to the blockchain. The Chai never used the blockchain. Um, and so that's the other one that will be litigated. And again, I, I, I'll have to refrain from commenting on those. Um, you know, I, I can say um, that we think kind of the fraud allegations are without merit, but um, as to the evidence for that, um, you shouldn't take my word for it. You should, you know, evaluate for yourself at the trial. The trial was actually supposed to happen um, here in a couple of weeks, but it got pushed back um, to, I believe, March 25th. So it'll be a couple more months before all of that's, that's out. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, be covering it. And w one follow-up question on on this securities issue. You said the SEC uh, found that UST was a security, but did it uh, say anything about Luna and Mirror? Oh, no. It, the judge ruled in summary judgment that all three were securities. All three. Okay. Yeah. But as you know, like there's there's two separate conversations to be had there, right? Like Mirror and Luna versus and UST are two very different types of of tokens, um, and um, you know we fundamentally don't believe that stable coins are securities. And I think that most of the crypto industry agrees with us, whether whether you love Terra or not, right? And so um, uh, that that was something we were hoping to be able to to have sorted out in trial, but it was settled in summary judgment. And just in in like practical terms, how does this trial affect just like the ongoing operation of Terra? Um, you know, we've known that this trial was coming. Um, this has been out there for a while. We've been preparing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we, we just continue to build. Um, it's, you know, one more, one more, you know, potential um, obstacle to get over. Um, but like our team's pretty resilient at this point, our community's pretty resilient at this point. So mm -hmm. we're pretty excited about like what we've been able to do so far, just given everything that's happened in the last, um, is it really two years? Yeah. Everything that's happened in the last, uh, couple of years. So, you know, mm -hmm. this is just, just one more hurdle, one more hurdle to get over is the way we look at it. I think, I think a lot of people, a lot of people in the company are, are, we're like, we're looking forward to it because it's finally our chance 
to present our side of the story. And we haven't been able to do that. I still can't do it today. Right. Um, and you know, regardless of what happens, that will be therapeutic in some way. But like legally, it's not preventing you from, from building, from operating the existing, uh, Terra chain. Like you can, you can, continue just like yeah we can continue know, running we can, yeah we can and and the terra ecosystem is pretty decentralized at this point so um the chain can obviously can run on its own mm -hmm. with the validators um tfl plays a big role in in kind of marketing the chain and and a tfl has always played a role in building applications on the chain as you know from mirror anchor um mm -hmm. station we had our own wallet um And so we, we play a big role in helping push it forward. But even if like TFL were to shut down, I think the chain would would continue on. It, it would just be a matter mm -hmm. of like which organizations would be able to step up and, and fill that gap. Um, there's a fairly large um, community pool that can still be drawn on that could fund development of the ecosystem, even if uh, TFL were to no longer exist. But, you know, okay. we're confident we'll, we're confident we'll survive this um, and, and continue to support the ecosystem. Okay, so after um, this you know, vote was passed that you'd uh, relaunch Terra. So what's, you know, what's happened since? So you essentially launched a new Terra chain as a Cosmos um, a SDK without without a stable coin. I mean, I guess like that's the, the main difference with like yeah, that's, that's Terra right. Classic. And then a la Ethereum, you still have the, the Terra Classic chain. That's alive. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. If you can go over all of that. Yeah, I can walk through that. So we we launched the community. So on the on the old Terra chain, which we would call Terra Classic now, there were just a lot of things that didn't that no longer worked because so much was intertwined with that stable coin, right? And like so many mechanisms that were built into that chain were were built into it because of this mint burn mechanism and, and the use of the stable coin. And so uh, when we did the vote to relaunch Terra, you know, obviously we could have stayed on that existing chain, but it just didn't make a ton of sense from a technical perspective for what we wanted to do. So we launched more of like a vanilla Cosmos SDK chain. Um, and, you know, we left the Terra Classic chain kind of behind, right? We, we continued to run infrastructure for it and support it and our wallet wallet support and everything like that. But um, this entire community, so so we, so this entire community like sprung up around the Terra Classic chain as well. Um, and, and you can find them on on Twitter. They're talking about Lunk because now it's, it's Luna Classic. Um, and they have varying objectives that I haven't stayed two on top of um but yeah so they're running it they're kind of running their own chain they found people who can develop the chain um they want to have like their own terra classic community so there's that team um and it's pretty distributed and pretty decentralized um and fun to engage with i would say um so and, and i still like engage with them occasionally and um you know we, we expect to bring like um luna classic liquidity over to terra and make sure that our applications work with their products and because it's still, there's like an emotional connection there. Um, but Terra's main focus is on the new vanilla chain that was launched. And so that's where TFL develops its apps. Uh, most of our apps are cross chain. And so we're leveraging a lot of IBC stuff to build kind of a new type of chain abstracted application. But um, yeah, most of our work is on, um, on or almost all of our work is focused on the new chain. And so that's, that's the chain you would hear called Terra and, Um, 
the token known as Luna now is actually the new Luna, not the old Luna. The old Luna would be Luna, um, L-U-N-C or Lunk. Um, it, it's so funny that this kind of s similar narrative happened on on Ter Terra than what happened on, on Ethereum. Um, what's what's like philosophically? What's the the um, the difference between the two communities like why why do you think there was a part of the community that just like stayed on like the original chain i'm not even sure that they, they were necessarily i'm not even sure that the terra classic community is necessarily and again i'm going to get a lot of grief for this necessarily like a part of the old terra community oh. i think they are primarily a new community that developed around an opportunity to try to revive this old chain so as far as like the builders and community members that i know and who's familiar with they've all come over to the, the validators everything like that they've all come over to mm -hmm. the new chain with us um but this is like a new i think it's kind of like a new independent um community that sprung up around terra classic that has its own vibes and set of values <laughs> and I, i don't fully understand it because it's been hard enough just to kind of keep TFL alive over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I haven't had time to focus too much on both, but I am getting a little more involved because um, they're a force. They have a lot of, they have a, a, an engaged community just like, like we do. And so um, we see them in a lot of places and, you know, a lot of the applications we're building um, are like kind of natively cross chain. And so we want to make sure that, that they get supported as well or treated as kind of like a first class Cosmos citizen. Awesome. Okay. And then on <clears throat> the, um, just like the overall goal or like vision for the new Terra chain, you said initially it was about, you know, competing head to head with other L1s. Is that still the vision? Yeah, I would say, I mean, look, this was, this has been challenging because there's not only, I mean, there are two major events to reckon with from a TFL perspective, right? And we've talked about one of them and there's not a lot I can talk about about the second one, but it's Doe leaving. Right. And so it's one mm -hmm. thing to relaunch Terra with Doe. Um, stepping in for Doe um, when he stepped down presented a whole nother set of challenges as well, because I was always um, I was always kind of back office for TFL. Right. And pro I didn't even try to get involved, even though I've run product before at other companies. I didn't even try to get involved with like our product strategy when Doe was there, because that was always his domain. Um, and so when, when he stepped down, like we've had to do a lot of, I've had to do a lot of soul searching with a team around like, how do you even carry this thing forward? Should I even carry it forward? Um, am I as a, a person capable or even willing to try to carry it forward, right? Like filling in for mm -hmm. dough, uh, like them or not, is a daunting task in the Terra community. So for me, it was really important to try to find like a common thread that connected old Terra to like what we wanted to do in the future. And I had to try to find some common thread that not only did it make sense, but was it something I could execute on? Um, because I, there, are, there are limitations I'm working with. Number one, um, I'm just a different person with a different set of experiences than, than Doe. And so the types of products that I'm familiar with building um, are like consumer tech and they're just like, they're a different type of product. They're more like applications and protocols, DeFi protocols. Um, um, and then, you know, secondly, like, 
do we have the capabilities to pull it off? And then are there things we can't, we just can't do while we're under all of this regulatory scrutiny? Like it doesn't make sense for us to launch a token right now. Right. And so like, like building new DeFi protocols is just kind of out of the question for TFL. So we have this set of constraints and I wanted to kind of draw a thread between, you know, old Terra and new Terra. And, and that was when, that was one of the times I went back and listened to your interview with him again, because it was like, okay, so what drew me to this in the first place? What were the, the core principles I can draw from? And, and it just reminded you that like before Anchor became so popular, it was really about usability and real world use cases and building something useful. And there was this quote that I pulled out for my Cosmoverse presentation where I was kind of reintroducing myself to the community and what our strategy was. And it was from your interview. Um, and it's not word for word, but it was something along the lines of, I'm. it was Doe saying, I believe... I'm one of those people who believes that Wall Street exists to serve Main Street and that capital allocated in a vacuum is meaningless. And what he was saying there was that, you know, if we're all just trading shit coins with each other, this doesn't matter, right? Like eventually someone has to build something useful. And um, he was applying that principle to the stable coin, right? And like in order for UST to be sustainable long-term without like this like diversified collateral backing, it had to be incredibly useful. But I think that same philosophy applies to building out a crypto ecosystem as well, right? Like there's, there have to be end user useful applications on top of that blockchain or it's ultimately going to fail, right? And like we can have meme coin season. It looks like we're going to have meme coin season every cycle. And that, that's cool with me as well. That's fun. Um, but that can't be it, right? Um, ultimately someone has to build a product that someone that, you know, in your real life is going to use. Um, and I think that was Tara's mission originally. I think even with anchor, that was its mission was to like simplify savings into the, like, this really, or DeFi savings into this really easy product to use. Um, and so that's kind of the thread that, that I pull forward is just that, um, we have to build things that are useful and that's not like a super mind blowing um, idea to have, right? Like everyone's trying to come up with that, right? Everyone's trying to find like what the next next use case for uh, for crypto is. Um, but we think we have a unique perspective on it. I think I bring a unique perspective. I built a lot of applications. If you go back and look at like the company I was CEO of, we did workforce management software. Um, and without getting too much into the weeds, it's it's employee scheduling and time tracking and you know, building those types of applications, you have to build not only for businesses, but you have to build for consumers as well. So you have to build a product that that a company will buy, um, but you also have to give like an application and a mobile app to like the users who are being scheduled for their jobs, like something that, that they would like to use as well. And so I have experience kind of building applications that scale to millions of users, both from like a consumer perspective and from like a B2B perspective. Um, and we're kind of attacking, you know, building useful applications from that perspective. We have kind of like our consumer platforms um, that we're working on and, and trying to bring more of like a web to, let's call it maybe like a web 2.5 design and interface to, to like, to, to the problem. And then we're also working on what we would consider kind of like our B2B um, like business platforms on, on Terra. And so, yeah, that's what we mm -hmm. think we have a unique perspective and how we can leverage kind of like cross chain abstraction, UX, UI, maybe bring some things that, that are like table stakes and web two applications to web three applications uh, that without mm -hmm. sacrificing, um, without sacrificing like the core tenets of decentralization, such as like, you know, you own your own keys and, and you have sovereignty and you have transparency. Um, 
to build something that that hasn't been built before. Um, and I think if we can do that, I think that's kind of our path back to to relevance, um, kind of broader crypto relevance. But you know, we're seeing great traction so far. I mean, I think we have one of the largest communities in the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, I think we, you know, we have a good suite of products that we can layer, that we can kind of package up with our blockchain um, infrastructure tools as well. And so, yeah, we're we're going to try to compete. If you haven't already considered building your next smart contract in Rust, you got to have a look at Sorabon. You can migrate your existing Solidity smart contracts over to Sorabon, and we'll show you how. You can also get funding for your projects. There's a $100 million adoption fund just to drive the adoption of Sorabon, so you can help build the ecosystem and potentially qualify for grant awards up to $150,000. You can visit us now at sorabon.stellar.org to learn more. Is it fair to say that you are you're competing with the rest of layer ones and your edge is uh, to provide um, just like very consumer focused usable apps that you know bring all of the commodities or I guess like all of the um, the the features that you come to expect in in web two to like a more blockchain native app yeah i mean i would say i would say yeah we're definitely competing with other layer ones um i am realistic about like the hole that we're starting from right like mm -hmm. uh, most people a lot of people don't even know we still exist outside of the cosmos ecosystem um we expect to get back on the main stage and compete at the same level that we competed before um, but I, i am realistic that's going to take time and in order to do that we're going to have to build something that's actually innovative and and, and different than what other people have built. And so um, it's not kind of like a, you know, I would, I would you know, if, if people want to see like what we're building and how we're building it differently, I would just recommend people go take a look at our new station wallet we just launched. It's far and away, I think the best cross chain wallet in crypto. It abstracts away a lot of like the bridging um, and like chain hassle that you'd have to deal with. It gives you kind of like cross chain. It's like basic stuff, right? Like, I'm always shocked that like we have 75,000 different layer two scaling solutions, but mm -hmm. I can't get a useful transaction history in my wallet, right? A cross chain mm -hmm. transaction history that shows like, so like in Cosmos, you can do a lot of really interesting abstracted transactions that, you know, send a token to this chain, do a swap and pull it back and deposit it in this protocol. Right. Like there's so much great innovation going on in the Cosmos ecosystem right now around IBC um, and like our station wallet. So if, if you're familiar with any of those protocols, I would say go use a station wallet and go try those like multi hop transactions. Get a sense for kind of the UX UI, the transaction histories that you can't find anywhere else. Um, that's a really good example of just like kind of the tip of the spear of what we want to bring to crypto. And then that's kind of like what I would say is like the consumer side of things that plus mm -hmm. eventually Um, consolidating that application with Pulsar, um, which is the portfolio tracking tool we bought. And then if you want to get a sense of it from like the B2B side, we have a product called Enterprise DAO that we've built um, that brings, you know, the ability to spin up DAOs um, and governance to anywhere in Cosmos. So it's completely cross-chain. You can spin up a DAO. You can stake vote from any chain in Cosmos um, with like a really simplified UX UI. You're not bridging tokens across in order to do it. Um, you can claim rewards anywhere. You can spin up treasuries on any any chain in Cosmos. So yeah, it's really like, I think our edge is like kind of that UX UI. I would say there's like a big difference between a protocol and an application. 
And mm -hmm. right now I can't build the protocols, right? They need a token. Um, but I can definitely build the applications that sit on top of those protocols and take advantage of like all of the great kind of bridging technology that, that's happening in Cosmos right now. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, we're building that application layer. And I think in doing that, we're building out a lot of infrastructure um, that we can provide to all of the other teams that build on Terra that allow them to offer kind of like a differentiated, a differentiated user experience. And so like mm. building the tools ourselves that support our own applications is helping us build like this, we're calling this product foundation, but it's essentially like, a, imagine um, what's the product that consensus built Infura. Um, it's like an Infura for Cosmos, but it has like kind of our unique perspective on what cross-chain abstraction and, and multi-chain transactions chained together should look like. Um, and we'll allow other teams that build on Terra to kind of build the same types of applications. So we, we're really excited about it. Um, we we just launched our station, um, our new station Chrome extension. Station was one of the most used wallets in the last cycle, um, just because of how popular Anchor and, and um, Terra was. So we took that cross chain and, and we're really excited about that. We're really excited about Enterprise. Um, I think it's kind of like the smoothest cross chain DAO creation and management solution out there. And then enterprise kind of opens up a whole suite of kind of like of tools that make it easier to run businesses. It's not just for DAOs. It'll eventually be for protocol teams and other crypto businesses as well. It opens up like a whole suite of applications that we'll be able to offer as well, like payroll, streaming payments, uh, vesting contracts, treasury management, uh, treasury management that works not only in Cosmos, but in, in Ethereum, um, working on labor markets, working on identity. So on all of these things, we kind of understand we have to build something differentiated um, because if we just try to copy paste what other people are doing and and fork it on our chain, it's it's never going to get Terra back to relevance. So we're trying a lot of things. Some things will work, some things won't. But um, yeah, the best way to, to kind of understand it would be just to go play around with those products. Hmm. Okay, so it's like TFL is analogous to, I guess, consensus to Ethereum where you're building all these different infrastructure pieces for teams building on on Terra to use? Yeah, I, I would say like the best comparison, it's not a perfect comparison, but we're TFL is kind of like a combination of Ethereum Foundation plus consensus in one organization. Mm -hmm. And it's always been that way, right? Like Doe was always mm -hmm. incubating and spinning out projects and, and we're continuing to do the same thing now. So, mm -hmm. I mean, part of it, part of the strategy now is just out of necessity, right? Like after everything that's happened, I'm not going to be able to go compete with Polygon for a business development deal to like bring some mm. some hot protocol to my to my chain like we're realistic about that so in order to rebuild we're gonna have to show the crypto community something interesting and useful and mm. you know attract like-minded developers to our chain um if it resonates and so yeah that's a strategy um super interesting and then you you still have you said you still have a uh, funds right within tfl that you're deploying to incubate these projects um but i think you you also deployed these funds directly on on uh, like on protocols on terra right yeah i mean so we have this treasury that's left over and um yeah a portion of it's going just to support tfl's operating expenses a portion of it's going to help out ecosystem builders with like audits and you know the types of expenses that that might be a little too challenging up front for them to cover um but we were also able because we're sitting on we're sitting on a decent amount of treasury that that was idle and so instead of like doing um 
kind of an ill-advised incentive program to try to get other people's. I think we've all learned through the last cycle that like paying for other people's liquidity just doesn't work, right? Like it stays, mm-hmm. it stays until you stop paying them and then it leaves. And it's nearly impossible to like do the math that would argue that it was a good ROI. Um, so we just kind of deployed our own treasury. We, we've had a little bit of a cold start problem, right? Where Things died so much after um, Doe stepped down and after all of this legal stuff that we've been through that one of two things had to happen. We either need to pay someone to like bring liquidity in and kind of like grease the wheels a little bit to get the DeFi ecosystem building again, um, or we had to do it ourselves. And we decided to do it ourselves. So um, what we did was we we supplied like what we would consider like we would call it DeFi sufficient liquidity. So that's like the way I would define that is like enough liquidity so that like a money market could feel comfortable building on top of it and that there would be enough liquidity to handle like price movements. Um, We've been able to supply like DeFi sufficient liquidity for some of like the best tokens in all of crypto. And we're the only chain that has that level of liquidity for these types of tokens. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, BNB, and Matic. I think we're the first ones we deployed. And so that just gets, and the idea there is like, okay, so now there's like a a sufficient liquidity for for ecosystems to start building on top of again. And since we've deployed that liquidity, we've had protocols that have come in and say, okay, we'll launch an outpost on Terra now because there's actually, there are actually assets for us to work with. Um, And it also, I mean, it's the only place in Cosmos that you can, you can build on those types of non-Cosmos assets. We're the only ones that have been able to bring those in. And so it provides like in the short term, it provides like a little bit of like a differentiated value prop beyond kind of like the UX, UI stuff and application level stuff we've been working on. I mean, and we're also working to bring uh, Cosmos liquidity in as well um, through some other means through like, um, like uh, voting incentives on our Astroport, which is one of the the largest, it is maybe the largest or one of the largest DEXs in the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, we've had a new um, uh, DEX that launched uh, Eura that um, has more of like a Velodrome model. So we'll be kind of participating in their incentives as well. And so, yeah, we're, we're trying to kind of like re-bootstrap liquidity in the ecosystem so that that builders can be successful again. And so we've had success so far. We've had to use our own money to do it, but um, I think that's fine. Um, it's allowed us to kind of get an asset list on chain um, that it's differentiated from, from everyone else in Cosmos. Super interesting. Um, then, you know, to, to start wrapping up, uh, <clears throat> as, as you're building um, and, you know, emerging from the the huge collapse there there must be some just like really important lessons that y- you your, yourself and like as a team you you took from um from what happened uh, with, with UST so wh- what do you think those are yeah i mean i there are lessons i get, i take from UST and there are lessons i take from just having spent more time in crypto generally um mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I joined, I was like, I'm going to learn this great new business model where you create these tokens and um, you can use these tokens to align incentives. And you don't, you know, instead of, you know, spending millions of dollars a year as a startup, you know, advertising on Google, you, you, you kind of align incentives and you build a community and that's how you bootstrap activity. And I think um, what I wish I had known at the time or I wish I had spent more time researching was just like really understanding the economics behind that. Right. Like, and so one lesson, one lesson I'd say is that, you know, if you're really interested in a protocol, you've got to go figure out like, 
how much how much protocol revenue is it generating versus the amount of money it's spending to incentivize incentivize that revenue and token terminals an incredible place to do this i'm sure there are others as well to get those analytics and then you've got, you've really got to put yourself in a space where you're like okay does this this protocol which sounds interesting and it sounds great and has a high success of working but if its valuation is $5 billion and it has $10,000 of revenue um, and it's spending millions of dollars a year to generate that revenue, is it ever going to find some kind of sustainable growth pattern? And I, I think like, look, if you're trading for the memes or you're speculating, do whatever you want. But like, I got into this for, because I, I was hoping to kind of uncover a new business model. Um, and I think just making sure you, you you stay informed about like the economics, the unit economics of all of these protocols is really important. And then just make sure you understand kind of what you're getting into um, when you participate in them. Um, I think really understanding security risk um, and APR might look juicy. It might look, you know, 5% better than what you can get outside of, um, outside of DeFi. DeFi, it might be marginally better, but I think we're all learning that there's like massive, um, just smart contract risk and other things that you need to figure out how to value um, and incorporate into kind of your thought process um, as you play with these protocols. Um, and just being kind of clear, I think like wrapping up on both of those two points and then I'll get to UST, just, just like be clear, like are you speculating or are you really understanding this protocol and, and how it could eventually scale into something sustainable? Um, as it relates to UST, I mean, I think um, uh, my biggest takeaway is that there's sh uh, <laughs> decentralized stablecoins should always be collateralized fully um, by safe collateral. Um, I don't think we need to run this experiment again. You know, I, I, people in, in crypto typically have short memories. I don't because I've had to live this so viscerally. Um, um, I believe like the ultimate, the, the mission of UST was pure. Um, it was only by doing it this way that that we could have created something truly 100% decentralized and uncensorable. Um, but I, I fail to see how it could work long term um, without full collateral backing or being over over collateralized. So um, that's lesson number one. I think lesson number two, I think for me is, um, you know, th this isn't. This isn't the same as other tech, right? When you're dealing with money, um, uh, you have to be more careful. Um, you have to be more diligent. Um, and so I think, you know, you have to be careful about everything you say, everything you do, um, everything you're associated with. Um, and so, you know, the, as we move forward at TFL, we've had to, to kind of like, it wasn't that we had like a, a necessarily a bad culture before, but we've just had to like instill a sense of absolute diligence to be beyond reproach with everything you do participate with and interact with. Um, because people are, people are, even if you don't mean it, even if, if, if it's not your intention, people are, are reacting to the signals you're sending and, and making decisions and you don't ultimately want to be responsible for uh, people misunderstanding anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, th those are lessons that, uh, I, I, I hope uh, everyone will, will internalize, uh, you know, just anyone running a protocol, uh, should be super mindful of, yeah, it's like people's money that uh, is, is going to be 
deployed in in this thing. So um, I think that's that's what's so interesting and different about building on blockchains. It's it's tech, but there's it's intrinsically money. And so um, from from a software developer's perspective, I think that 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 might be something that many are not used to, right? Like you're 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 building an app uh, and you're making sure that yeah, it doesn't have uh, bugs or you know it's 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 designed in the right way, uh, but it you just need to be so so much more careful because you know it's not people are not gonna be using this to I don't know upload pictures and comment on other people's whatever um, they're gonna be using it to do stuff with their money with, with savings and so on yeah and, and the stakes are so much higher and i think like if you're someone who's in like TradFi, you're looking at at crypto and you're listening if you're listening to me right now you're like yeah no shit we've been dealing with this for 100 years right <laughs> and so my hope is just like look uh if crypto is going to achieve its potential of like democratizing the financial system it, it's going to do it by only having to learn this lesson once right mm. um and i hope we do um, so that we can build something serious um, that kind of befits what what crypto is capable of doing in the world. Because if if we're still doing this cycle after cycle after cycle, um, I, I I you know I I don't know how we're gonna to get to like the outcome that we all wanted to in terms of crypto's impact on the world. So yeah yeah I think that's that's a great insight. Um, uh, and then just. Follow up on the, the one of the initial points that you made. I just think it's really interesting your observations on on um, token business models. Uh, I'm just curious, like, do you still think that it, uh, tokens provide a new business model, or or is it really just like just get an, uh, a useful product and you know uh, and it's yeah basically I, the same. Uh, yeah. I th no, I, I think there's definitely a business model there, and I think there's a way to align incentives. But the way that these token deals are structured now, um, I don't think are that effective. And, you know, having, you know, been in tech for 20 years now and um, and just seeing what real real incentive alignment and, and just knowing so many founders who struggled for – 10 years. I was talking to a founder the other day. He's 11 years into a startup and is still making like paying himself like the typical prototypical series A startup salary. Right. And mm -hmm. it's probably not going to work out. Right. And so like he dumped, put 11 years into this and he didn't get to cash out before he had product market fit. He has product mm -hmm. market fit. He didn't get to, he hasn't been able to cash out anything before he was able to show that not only did he have product market fit, but that he was also able to design a go-to-market strategy and build a sales and marketing strategy and scale it to tens and 20 and 30 million of revenue. Um, and I think as long as, I think the tokens provide a really interesting way of allowing teams to bootstrap their expenses and let early participants, you know, participate in the upside of of the protocol but there's got to be like a new way of and a new level of transparency on how much of the tokens are going to founders um, and how much they're able to use um, prior to you know full product market fit for, before mm. they've actually delivered a product that's going to justify that and so yeah um, you know finding a model where these tokens can be applied 
um, in a way that um, isn't such a strong departure from like how these risky venture startups have happened before. I think like finding a good balance there, I think will be really critical. Um, yeah. But if you can look, I, I'm a hundred percent convinced that if you can make, you know, if you can make $5 million by launching something that doesn't have product market fit yet, and then you're supposed to just convince yourself to stick around and grind it out for the next 10 years that are really hard, it's just not going to happen, right? People are going to walk away. They're going to say it's a centralized now and, and I'm no longer responsible for it. So I think the tokens can be really useful for like, for, for bootstrapping a company and, and not just having to spend all of your money with Google AdWords, but um, it's going to have to be, someone's going to have to create a better model. And I don't know what that model is. So I'm just kind of like saying there's a problem and not providing a solution, but um, there has to be more transparency about where the tokens go, how they're being used and the lockups on those, I think, first and foremost. And then I think essentially at some point, you know, token vesting contracts that are are triggered based on some kind of measurable um measurable outcome in terms of, of true mm. product success, whether that's transactions or fees or, or whatever it is. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, yeah, tokens definitely um, uh, unlock that that ability for, for teams to fund themselves, uh, for early community members to participate in, in the upside um, and uh, to fundraise. Uh, but yeah, like there, there needs to be a better mechanism. Like we saw it like in the ICO era. I don't think we've made a lot of progress since then. You know, it's like, okay, you launch a token, you sell it. Um, and, and then like the incentives for the teams are, if, if you raise a, a lot of money from, from a token sale, um, yeah, the incentives are just not there for you to, to just like deliver. Uh, so yeah, you, you, I think we do need a better system like vesting periods for tokens. And, and I think there are teams uh, building uh, this so that it can be done in like, like an automated smart contract enabled way. So, I mean, that that's in progress, but yeah, b beyond that, I think for the token to actually, uh, you know, be sustainable, it needs to, to be used in, in a real way. And I think that's, that's the big issue with these protocols is like most of the time uh, you're sticking a token when it doesn't need to be there. And yeah. so it's, it's hard to just like maintain its value because you know, it, it wasn't ever supposed to be launched in the first place. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and that's why we, and this is one of the things that kind of inefficiencies in crypto that we think we can capitalize on is we think that a lot of teams are forced to, you know, they, they launch it. They, first of all, again, like I said, we, we, we try to differentiate between what should be a protocol, which needs a token because you have governance and what's mm -hmm. an application. And I think what you see is a lot of teams take the easy way out. What they're building isn't necessarily, doesn't need to be a protocol. It's an application. They launch the token. Then they have to fake decentralization um, because mm -hmm. this token exists now. And then they have to make a bunch of bad UX, UI trade-offs. And so, um, you know, Terra's in a situation where we can't launch tokens, but um, I'm glad that we can't because we, we have a token. It's Luna. Everything we do is for the, the to, to make Terra more useful, um, which will accrue value to Luna. But then we don't have to like worry about these fake decentralization trade-offs because we launched this token. And so um, mm. that's an opportunity in the market um, to build a better application. And that's, you know, one of the gaps we want to fill. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think maybe it's an advantage that you you're you're you have this constraint of launching tokens. Um, yeah, maybe it just like forces you even more to build something that's actually useful uh, and not just like uh, attracting users because there's some token incentives, but you'll have no users tomorrow. Yeah. So who knows? Like maybe maybe this um, uh, this limit that might feel like a constraint now is something that pays off and it's an advantage in the long term. Yeah, it definitely forces discipline. I mean, we did have a treasury mm -hmm. left over, so it's not like we're destitute. And so we have money to work mm -hmm. with and that's an advantage. Um, but look, yeah, like if I could leave you with anything, like the, like the token, I mean, we've already been through hell with this token thing, right? Um, mm -hmm. So like everything we're doing now is super focused on the long term because the, the worst thing that could potentially happen is that we just have <laughs> like launch a token, it pumps and then it dumps again and we're right back where we started. Um, most of us who are at TFL are here to kind of rebuild not only the ecosystem, but our reputations and to prove to everyone that this wasn't all bullshit. Um, mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, everything we do has to be focused on like long-term sustainability and, and not another failure. And so um, I think tokens are really good at pulling forward demand. Um, and so, but we all know where that ends. Like if you, if you accelerate all the demand because you pay people tokens, then um, it, it always ends the exact same way. And so, yeah, not only like regulatorily, do we not need to launch a token? I think it, if it would be contradictory to our aims, which is long-term sustainable growth. And so, yeah. Mm. Um, it, and so to, to, to end the podcast, I mean, that's, that's a lot of pressure that you're, you're under to, like you said, like prove to everyone, um, that what you're involved in, uh, is worth, you know, something or is, is not a failure, uh, recovering, make, like making terror recover, but also it, mending your reputation. I mean, that's that's a lot to be taking on. So what would be a good measure of, of success for you? Like by, by the end of this year, where would you want to be? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, you know, I think like, so I'll take a step back and talk about 2023. In 2023, when Doe stepped down, you know, I got together with the team and, and what we decided was we have two objectives for the rest of this year. Number one is survive. Let's hold together and survive mm -hmm. this. And number two, let's figure out how to build again, right? Like we just lost our head of product and the guy who was like the driving force behind everything that TFL had ever built, right? And Doe. Um, so let's prove that number one, we can hold this thing together. And number two, that we can build uh, useful products. And um, we were a little late because most of our products launched here at the beginning of January, um, some of the stuff that we were working on, but we, we, we were able to do that, right? We were able to rebuild the company um, with new people in place to like lead products and, and like an entirely new way of running the company. And so I think in 2024, it's like getting it out to people and getting usage on it and proving whether or not these products are what people want and whether our, our specific vision of, 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 you know, cross-chain abstraction and application versus protocol and usefulness is going to resonate in the market. And can we actually build something useful? And so I think we've already had a decent, we've had decent feedback from 
within the smaller kind of Terra and Cosmos community. Um, but I think in 2024, what we want to do is is get back to, um, I, don't know, I call it the main stage. But yeah, can we mm-hmm. can we make those applications work for everyone beyond Cosmos? Um, and so I think if we can see some crossover to a, to like EVM chains and other places, I think that would be a good measure of success. Amazing. Um, Chris, thank you so much for for this interview, um, for, you know, going through your experience. Uh, I mean, such such an amazing uh, story uh, and uh, hopefully a comeback story. But CBD uh, yeah. will definitely be be covering it and, and watching. Um, yeah, really. Th- thanks again for for being so open about all of this, about your lessons. This has really been a really interesting conversation. All right, thanks. Enjoyed being here. Thanks for having mm-hmm. me. Here we are with Chris Amani. We're recording a follow up to our uh, interview that we did earlier because Terraform Labs filed for bankruptcy a few days after we recorded that initial interview. So here is um, an, an update uh, on, on that filing. So um, Chris, thanks for, for doing this follow-up. Of course, glad to uh, jump back on. So cool. So uh, for brief context, Terraform Labs filed a voluntary petition um, in Delaware for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Uh, This happened, I believe, uh, January 24th, sorry. Um, So, I mean, first question is, why why did you decide to do this? It was, you know, a voluntary decision to file. So, yeah, what was the thought process? Yeah. So, you know, we've been evaluating options to ensure, well, let me take a step back. So Mm -hmm. I think we discussed on our last call um, how the SEC had already won on summary judgment um, for the securities violation for for Luna and UST. And so um, the penalty for that um, was pending the outcome, was potentially pending the outcome of the fraud case that we discussed on the previous show, um, but once once it was clear that 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 there was going to be a penalty for for um, um, for those securities for the the securities violation summary judgment and um, that potentially that penalty could be larger than the current assets that we had on hand, we started evaluating different like kind of strategic. Um, directions we could take that would ensure mm. that we would be able to continue to operate normally while we appealed that decision. So mm. this this turned out to be like the most, um, um, this turned out to be, I think, the best solution for that to, to ensure that we could continue to maintain operations while we go through an appeals process on that. Got it. Okay. So um, how how big could that fine be? For the securities violation, it, it's hard to know. It's hard to know. So um, there are a lot of different ways you could measure um, losses, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's just impossible for us to tell until it's handed down. And, and I think there will be an entire process around determining what that fine would be, but um, or what that penalty would be. But that wouldn't take place. I don't think. I think we believe now that it'll take place after the um, rest of the trial concludes. Okay, so by filing for bankruptcy, that would um, protect Terraform Labs from fi- having to pay out that fine? Yeah, I think what it would do is basically allow us to continue operating. Ideally, it would allow us to continue operating while we appeal that decision. 
Hmm. Um, and it just kind of adds an orderly process to to you know any of the creditors we might have at that point um, if the fine is determined to be larger than the assets that we have on hand. So, so you'll appeal that uh, that decision in the case that you know the ruling still you know rectifies what the SEC said and and you're still um, you still have to pay that that penalty. <clears throat> what happens then? Yeah, it's hard to know. So, like, I'm learning a lot about the the, the Chapter 11 process myself. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a, not a place you would expect to be with a, a crypto company. Um, <laughs> Um, especially one like ours. And so, you know, there are a lot of different potential outcomes there. I think the, the role of a bankruptcy court in the U.S. is to determine, um, is to determine like what the, what the best outcome is for creditors, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, there are definitely scenarios where, um, you know, the optimal outcome for us is one in which, you know, the bankruptcy court determines that um, the TFL and the assets that TFL owns are more, more uh, valuable um, would TFL continue to exist rather than to be liquidated? And so there's a lot of potential outcomes that, that could happen. It's, it's hard to predict what, you know, that, that's probably a year plus away. So it's hard to predict what it would look like. Hmm. And who are uh, your creditors at this point? Um, they've all been listed. I won't go through them name by name, but you can find them on, on the filing that we put out. Uh, no, but in, in just like general terms, like not specifically, but... Are they investors in in Terra, like uh, as like a category? I guess. Um, yeah, there's like I mean, there's like the typical stuff you would expect to have, where they're just people you owe money to on the day you file bankruptcy. Um, that are just kind of normal operating, um, uh, normal operating companies, and then there are just you know commitments that we have that could potentially be considered creditors. But we need to sort all of that through this process we, we've just done kind of like the initial first day hearing and then there's a lot more work to be done to like sort all of that out so what if the court decides that your assets need to be liquidated look i think that's that will be a decision for the court um but in that case what happens to to tara well i think the way to think about this is um that's essentially like uh, that's essentially a situation we were were facing regardless of filing this chapter eleven, right? Like, and and we talked about this a lot, I think, on our last conversation, right? Is that the big, the big inflection point for TFL and for Terra is this fraud trial, um, and if we can prove if we can prove our innocence in that, and obviously, um, uh, you know, the reason we wanted to chat was because, you know, we hope people cover that trial and we hope people look at the evidence for themselves. And so, you know, that the filing of the Chapter 11 doesn't really change what could potentially happen. It just gives us more options for in a case where um, in a case where a penalty is upset, is um, assessed that's greater than the value of our assets. So mm. so if there wasn't a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, I, there would be no option. For potentially continuing operations and and so it would just be you know almost certainly automatic liquidation and so what the chapter 11 bankruptcy process does is give us you know potentially more options but it doesn't it doesn't like introduce a new risk of liquidation that didn't exist before leading into this trial if that makes sense mm, okay i see um and so you declared in the filing that you have between 100 to 500 million in assets and the same amount in, in liabilities. Um, 
Can you give more specifics on that at all? No, I can't share any more specifics on that. I know that's kind of a broad range. That's a big mm -hmm. range. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think more specifics, you know, during this bankruptcy process, everything will be incredibly public. So more specifics will almost certainly get out. Um, but for right now, that's the most I can share. Okay. Okay. So what would the ideal outcome of all of this be for you? I mean, the ideal outcome is that we, you know, win on these fraud charges. Um, obviously, we look forward to everyone kind of covering covering that case. Um, and then we can appeal on um, the securities charges and then we come out of this, you know, with no penalty. Um, I think that there's, you know, as it relates to the securities charges, I mean, there are a lot of questions about the SEC's jurisdiction over crypto assets. And so there are ways that those could also get resolved independent of our specific case, right? You have Ripple, you have Coinbase, you have a lot of different other things happening in parallel. So I think there are a number of different paths to resolution on that one. Um, obviously, we'll pursue our own. But yeah, I mean, ideal scenario is that we, we um, you know, we went on fraud, the fraud charges that have been levied against us, and we um, are able to overturn the, um, the securities loss. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the other hand, I guess, you know, the, the, the worst case scenario is you lose on, on both. Um, and in that case, you'd have to liquidate your, your assets to repay creditors and, and, and pay the penalty. Um, yeah, I mean, ideally, yeah, I mean, there would be an appeals process. So like if we were to lose all the way through, then, um, you know, it would be up to the courts to determine what, what the disposition of the assets would be. Right. And, um, a lot of your assets are in Luna. We do have a sizable Luna community grant. Definitely. So, so it's complicated. It makes, it mm -hmm. makes the situation complicated, right? Because, mm -hmm. Um, as we mentioned in our declaration, um, you know, killing TFL, as you remember from our last conversation, we airdropped all of the tokens from uh, the relaunch of Terra to holders of, you know, um, Luna Classic and, mm -hmm. and UST, right? And so the entire relaunch of the Terra chain and the reason for um, TFL to continue to exist and to continue to operate was to help rebuild, you know, everything that had, had fallen apart in the, in the DPAG. And so, um, you know, there, there's a question for that, you know, I'm sure we'll get addressed by the bankruptcy court of like, is it, you know, what purpose um, does killing TFL actually, um, what, what purpose does it resolve, right? Um, when what we're doing is trying to rebuild um, the Terra ecosystem. And so, you know, I think the market cap of Luna right now is 400 million. That's all shared by, um, uh, the original holders of Luna and UST prior to the DPAC. So, mm -hmm. right. So, if you had to liquidate your your Luna holdings, that would obviously, I mean, put potentially, but pretty pretty surely impact the price, um, which would obviously yeah. be bad for holders. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's complicated. I don't, I don't know how it. I, I I don't know how it would work, right? Like the mm -hmm. the holdings that we have, by the way, in Luna are vesting over a period of five years. So I mean, there's no way to liquidate them right now. Anyway, it's all locked in mm -hmm. a smart contract. And any other way that this filing would would impact your roadmap, your your plans, anything that we discussed on our previous interview? No, I mean, I think it it's just important to note, like this filing only gives us more options than we had prior to the filing, mm -hmm. right? Like we were still facing all of these same kind of existential risks. We've been facing down existential risks 
um, since essentially the day after the VPEG, right? And we just keep building and shipping through those. So, um, you know, this is kind of a strategic move to ensure that, um, you know, TFL could continue to operate and support the ecosystem through any kind of appeals process. And so, you know, obviously, like the word bankruptcy, the word chapter 11 comes with a lot of connotations um, that, that make it sound a little bit more like the end of something rather than the beginning of something. Um, but, you know, if you learn more about the process, it's really about um, trying to find a way to um, enable companies to survive through challenging times. And so um, this just gives us another set of tools, I think. Um to continue to operate and to support the ecosystem while we get through this trial. Uh, okay, well, really appreciate you clarifying all of that. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I think um, it, it there is kind of that that uh, connotation, but um, it's. I mean, I think the the main point is our what we talked about on our previous interview stance, kind of this. Um, drive to continue building uh, and i think that's a super interesting story so yeah the team's still here we're still building the same products and and we're looking forward to you know continuing to ship more so yeah thanks for having me back on appreciate it